You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. All right. Well, we are in week three of a series called Friending, which actually isn't technically a word, but it makes for a great title of a series. And so we're talking about the importance of relationships in our lives. And I know sometimes as we get older, friending and friendships and relationships really honestly can become a little bit more difficult. Sometimes I think about when we were young or when I was young, it seemed like a lot easier. And even watching my kids now as they grow up, it's just natural when you're a kid, right? You hang around people, you're in school with your friends, you're just constantly around people. You have a lot more time to be able to do that. But it can be really difficult and even challenging at times when we're an adult to realize the importance that relationships play in our lives. And honestly, it's something we've been unpacking in this series. And if you've missed any of it, I really encourage you to go back on the website or the podcast and listen to those and really see the importance that friendships play in our lives. And so we've kind of been diving in and we've been saying this is kind of the premise of the whole series is this saying. It says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And that basically is just saying that with some degree of certainty, we could take a look at the people who you've been hanging around with, who your inner circle is, the people that you associate with the most and have a pretty good idea of what your future is going to look like. And you're like, well, Brian, isn't that kind of judgmental? No, it's just kind of honest, right? Because we become like the people that we hang around. Now, that doesn't have to be a negative thing. It can be a really positive thing. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 13:20, it says this, It says, walk with the wise and what? Become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. So even the Bible is encouraging us that the people that we hang around, those we do life with, have a direct impact maybe on your attitude, on your future, on your direction. And so the good news is if you hang around people who are passionate, who are excited about life, who are hardworking, who are faith-filled and pursuing God, whatever it is, those positive attributes that you're wanting to obtain in your life, if you've got those kind of people in your life, you're setting yourself up for some success, right? But the opposite side of that coin is the same thing is true. If you're hanging around people who are lazy and not hardworking, who are critical, who are self-centered, that kind of starts to rub off. And you know what's interesting? When our children are young, if you've had kids or you have kids now, we see that, don't we? You're kind of like, You've been hanging around Johnny, haven't you, right? You're like, I know you didn't learn that from me. I mean, come on, they pick up some bad stuff from us as well. Let's just be honest here for a moment. Sometimes it's like looking into a little miniature mirror of yourself, right? And you just like see that moment. You're like, they learned that from me. Like, can't you get the good stuff? I mean, come on, I have some good stuff going on too. Why do you have to just get the ugly? Come on. But we see that in others, right? But the same thing is true in ourselves. It's so important, the people that we hang around and that we do life with. Last week, we unpacked this idea that there's three types of poverty that we're talking about. And the first one is material poverty. This is something that we kind of get, right? We, we understand um, poverty when it comes to materialism. It's like the lack of money or finances or people who don't have enough money for food or adequate housing or clothing. We kind of understand that whole process and what what creates that and what gets us into that. So that's, that's one type of poverty. The second one was spiritual poverty. And that's kind of the idea of like we're impoverished spiritually. So maybe we're not following after God. Maybe we're a Christian, but we're not really involved in our faith or really doing anything to grow in that. And so we can experience poverty spiritually, that we're not growing. We're not experiencing God in our lives. We're not really trying to follow him or please him in any way. And so we can experience spiritual poverty. And then the one we've really been unpacking for this series 
series is relational poverty. And now this one can kind of be the hardest to get our head around because it's like, well, relational poverty, like what does that mean? Like what's the deal with relational poverty? What's going on there? I mean, we can get material poverty that we don't have enough, right? Or spiritual poverty that I'm not really invested in my relationship with God. But relational poverty says that I am poor relationally, that I don't have the relationships in my life that I need to really truly enjoy this life that God has given me. And that's really important. And something that I think that's really lent itself to this in our culture, especially as Americans, is that we fiercely want our independence, right? And even when you're a teenager, I remember, I remember having conversations with myself, conversations with my siblings, and so many conversations where there's like, I just can't wait to get out of this house. I can't wait to be on my own, right? I don't need anybody. I'm going to have a job, get my own car my own place, right? We just want that independence. And can we be honest for a moment? That's probably healthy, right? Having some level of independence is probably a good thing. But I think what happens so much in our culture is that we seek independence so much, and what we find is that is distinctly non-Christian. Matter of fact, that is not how God called us or created us to live. God created us to live in community with one another. Now, sometimes I think even we in the church or even as pastors, we've, we've kind of complicated this and we've made this even a little more confusing because we talk about having a personal relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, right? You want a, a personal relationship. We want you to know God personally, that you know him, not just of him. You don't know just about him, but you're in relationship with him. And that is true. We do want to have a personal relationship that God is our friend, that we can talk to him, that we can approach him, that we know he's involved in our lives, but it shouldn't just stop there, that we should also have a relationship that's a shared relationship with God. And that looks like doing relationship in community together. So as we unpack this and we talked about what causes relational poverty, I kind of want to roll through a few. And these are just a few things that may cause this. It isn't, it isn't an exhaustive list, but let's, let's take a look at these. Um, the first one, what causes relational poverty is excessive stuff. Now, I'm not going to stay up here, stand up here and say that I don't like stuff. I like having stuff. I mean, you like having stuff. Some people are on the scale of liking more stuff than other stuff, but come on, you like your stuff. You like your clothes, right? You like your car, you like your home. We like stuff and there's nothing wrong with having stuff. Matter of fact, stuff is great to enjoy. See, what happens is when it becomes excessive and it's not that you have the stuff, but that the stuff has you, right? Sometimes we can be owned by our stuff. And what does that mean? That we don't have time for relationship because we are so busy either working because when you got to get the stuff, then you got to get a loan for the stuff, then you got to pay interest on the stuff, then you got to get the stuff painted, then you got to get the stuff cleaned, right? And then you got to like, this stuff's wearing out. So now I got to get some new stuff to replace the old stuff, right? And so what can happen is so often, I just like, I've never said stuff this many times in a row in my entire life. (laughs) Stuff, stuff, stuff. And so it's, it just can control our lives to the point where we don't have time for relationships. I was reminded this week, I was preparing for this. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie Annie. Anyone watch the movie 1983 version of Annie? Yeah, that's like canon Annie for me. Like I actually, like I saw like the theater play of it, Broadway, and I'm like, no, no, no. I need like the TV, Daddy Warbucks, bring it on. It was just something we watched all the time. Funny story, and this is true. 
when we were growing up, and I don't even, if you grew up in this generation, you'll know what I'm talking about. So when something came on the TV, my dad would record it, like on the VCR, VHS tape. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But we had a VCR, and he would record it. And so we would watch it, and we had like all the commercials recorded. So we'd have like the commercials memorized from like 1983 as well. And then here's what's true. I don't know if you knew this, but sometimes like the movie version that they put on TV, they have to cut it down, right? So they have enough room for commercials. So we watched that movie, Annie, on the tape, like from the TV version, hundreds of times. I could probably quote most of the movie. That, Willy Wonka, there's a couple others, childhood, right? And so that's all I'd ever seen. And then one time in college, my friend's like, oh, I actually have Annie on VHS, or DVD, I think at that time. We're like, DVD, Annie, like, is it? You're like, we're like, what? You know, it's like high def Blu-ray. We're like, this is amazing, surround sound Annie. Like my world is just being rocked, right? And so he puts it in and we're watching it in his apartment. Um, yeah, a group of guys, cool, right? We're just watching Annie in college. Um, tells you I was on the party scene. And and, and we're watching it, and all of a sudden, this song comes on. I'm, like, singing along, doing all the lines, and all of a sudden, this song comes on. I'm like, what just happened? It was what, a scene that had been cut, a song that was cut, and it was like my life. I just lived for the first time, experienced a new, and like, 20-some years of watching, and I didn't know there was another song. I mean, it was a terrible song, but anyway, they cut it, and I was just, my life was changed. But here's the thing with Annie. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. At some point, Daddy Warbucks, who was a multi-billionaire during the Depression, had all the money, all the wealth, everything you could ever want, right? And so um, Grace Farrell, who was his personal secretary, is trying to get him to adopt little orphan Annie, who is now staying in his home, right? And not only that, Daddy Warbucks is a billionaire, and he's really rich, but he is dense. Like, Grace has it for him, right? She's like, that bald head is cute, right? And this is going to be our baby. Like, come on now. Like, she's just trying to say, you know, he doesn't get it. And so she's trying to convince him. She does herself up, does her hair. They're outside on the veranda. They're having breakfast together and just having this moment. And then he's trying to convince, she's trying to convince him, you should adopt Annie. And like, kind of, you know, and I'm here too, right? Adopt her and me, right? And he doesn't get it. And he's just so dense. And she says this thing. She's like, you know what? You love money. You love power. You love capitalism. And then she drops this truth bomb on him. But you know it'll never love you back, right? And I think that's the kind of the idea with this stuff is that sometimes it's not even about the quantity or having billions, but sometimes this stuff just has us and we become so consumed with pursuing it that we never have relationship or community and we experience relational poverty. The next one is increased mobility. And this is something that's really interesting. And they've actually done studies on this. And this is something that's progressed even with our culture more and more. Matter of fact, the average person will move once every five years. It's not like it used to be where someone like you were born in that house and you die in that house. Matter of fact, a good friend of mine just got to go to his um, grandfather's funeral down on the south side. He literally lived in the same house that he was born. The dude was like in his 90s, right? He was actually she was a centennial. He was over 100. Born, raised, Southside, same house, same Catholic church, everything, same street, his entire life. I mean, that is mind-blowing. That doesn't happen anymore, right? Some of us are like, same street. How about like same part of the country or even not even the same nation? It just, we move so much. The amazing thing is that even if you're in age 20 to 40, that stat actually goes to once every three years, that we move. And so it's really hard. And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's out of necessity, relocating, jobs, family issues. It's not like that's a negative. It's just really hard to build relationships and community when you're on the move. 
The third one is no margin in our schedules. Sometimes, can we just be honest? We just don't have time for friends. We just don't have time for relationship. Some of us are booked so tight that sometimes we feel like our family members are just those roommates that we have living at the house, right? We're just so busy. We don't have time. We don't have margin. And so forget even trying to connect with our family. We don't have the margin. We don't have the space to have community, to have relationship, right? There's a, a, a comedian who was telling a story once, and he was talking about how everything has instructions on it. And that if you may not have known this, it's a surprise to me, that Pop-Tarts actually have instructions. Has anyone ever read the instructions for Pop-Tarts? This is like, we were opening a keyboard today for a computer, and it was like, had instructions. I was like, does anyone read the instructions for a keyboard? Does anyone read the instructions for a Pop-Tart? And he was talking about there's actually, because how do you make a Pop-Tart? Let's just do the poll here. Toaster, right? Toaster? Everyone toaster. Okay. How about microwave? Anyone in the microwave? I was going to tell you to get out. Um, but just kidding. Because you make, you make Pop-Tarts in a toaster, right? Some of you are like, we put them in the air fryer, like a few at a time now. We're like really bad. And so you make, you make Pop-Tarts in the toaster, but there's actually microwave instructions for a Pop-Tart. How long does it take to toast a Pop-Tart? Like, this is what the comedian's saying, like 30 seconds, you know? You know, you know how long it says to, how long into microwave a Pop-Tart? Two seconds. Two seconds. And he's like saying, if you have to zap fry your Pop-Tart because you're booked so tight, it's like, I gotta get out of here. And you're like prying the, you know, Pop-Tart two seconds. You gotta get out the door. You're booking yourself a little bit too tight, right? At least enjoy that warm, gooey, toasted Pop-Tart. We just don't have the margin in our lives. We're too busy. We have too many things going on. And sometimes we're saying yes to a lot of things, and they may be good things, but sometimes it requires us to say no to even the better things and the relationship and community that can come in our lives. The fourth one is this, modern convenience. And this is really interesting. And they've done studies on this. And I was reading some of this this week. It's really amazing. They've discovered that there's some modern conveniences that have really limited our connection with other people. You know what the number one they said was? And this was really interesting because this would have even been before my time. So I wouldn't have experienced this. The number one modern convenience that has really had an impact on community and relationships. You ready for this? Air conditioning. Like, who would have thought, right? But before air conditioning, guess what people did? They would actually sit outside on their porch. Why? Because it was actually way too hot in the house. So they would sit on the porch, and where would your neighbors be? They'd be over on their porch, right? And so before there was air conditioning, people would sit outside on their porch, and they would connect, and they would talk, right? And they would just complain about how hot it is. Some things don't ever change, right? And so that's what they would do, and they would get to know each other. But when air conditioning happened, everyone just sits inside. I mean, you might have a deck now, but let's just be honest. you got like a 12 foot privacy fence. There's barbed wire around that thing. You like put the Rottweiler out. You're like, I don't even want to see my neighbors. I don't want to see them. I can hear you over there, but I, I can smell your food grilling. It's amazing, but I don't want to see you, right? We don't want to go there. And air conditioning is something that has changed our relationships. Something else that has changed that has been really interesting is the attached garage. They actually did this in the study and they have found because now, you know, before there were garages, there was like the detached one. And you had to park the car and get out and walk to the house. Now, if you've got an attached garage, you just open your garage door while you're driving up. You drive right in the house and shut the door. You don't even have to see your neighbors, right? You don't even, I don't even, you don't even exist, right? You've like been living here for 20 years. I don't even know you, right? Because I just drive straight in the house. I close the door, I'm in my castle, and all is right in the world, right? And attached garages have actually had an effect on our relationships. We've talked about this in this series about how much the phone has changed and something that's really amazing. And this might blow your mind if you're, if you're young today, but do you know how before caller ID and before cell phones, how you would know who was calling on the phone? 
you had to answer it. You actually had to, I know, I know it's, it blows your mind, right? I remember growing up, you know, the phone's like attached to the wall, the phone rings, you didn't know who it was. It could be anyone. It could be someone you wanted to talk to. It could be that person that was really annoying you didn't want to talk to, right? And they had like phone directories. Everyone had your phone number. It was listed, right? And you actually had to answer the phone. And you can't just be like, oh, you know, and hang it up, right? Just don't want to talk to you. You had to answer the phone. There was no caller ID. And you know why they invented caller ID? So you can look at it and be like, yeah, I don't want to talk to them. They didn't invent caller ID so you knew it was people you wanted to talk to. They invented caller ID and you are all like, you know you do it. You know you did it this week. You're like, yeah, let that go to the voicemail, right? We get it later. And then they invented before caller ID, and I remember this. You might remember this. Remembering when answering machines came out? And everyone got an answering machine. Why? Because you were away and you needed something to answer your phone. That's not why they invented answering machines. They invented answering machines so you could screen your calls, right? And you would like pick up, you know, blah, 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 at the tone, leave a message, right? Boop and it's coming, and you hear who it is, and like, oh, you pick it up, oh, okay, it's you, right? And you never answer the phone without it being screened by the answering machine. I know it's crazy. There was this little box. Some of them had little tapes in there. Can you imagine if some of those exist today? That'd be really fun. Hook that up in your house. Get the answering machine at the tone. Please leave a message. Boop. And then the other thing that they had really found in this study, and this has really accelerated every bit more, is uh, I don't know about you, but when I was young, what did you do when you wanted to play, when you wanted to be entertained? You went outside, right? And we played with actual people. Matter of fact, I remember getting on my bike, even in elementary school. This, like, freaks me out now because my daughter is about the age where I did this. I can't even wrap my head around it. I'd get on the bike on a Saturday morning and be gone till the sun came down, right? What? Like 12 years old? That's how I lived my life. We were just gone. I don't even know where we were. There was no Google Maps. There was no GPS. There was no cell phones. No one knew where we were or what we were doing. Um, but that's just how we lived our lives. We were outside. We played. We connected. And something that's really changed in our culture and our society is individual forms of entertainment. And now, you know, our kids still play outside, but what's predominant now, not only with our kids, right? Everyone's got their personal device. I mean, heck, we don't even have to watch Netflix together if we don't want to on the one TV in the living room. Everyone can just watch whatever they want and stream it on their own little individual device. And see, that's really taken a toll on our relationships. And finally, the last one is the effects of social media. See, social media has really changed the game. And social media is a great thing. It could be really positive in our lives to connect with people, people that we knew, people we want to keep in touch with, pictures of people that we want to know, right? And a really great thing is when you friend people, say Facebook with this really great tool in there now that you don't have to unfriend them. You can just unfollow them, right? And no one knows it. And I don't even have to see your stuff in my feed anymore. It was like the greatest invention in Facebook. It was like caller ID, right? I don't even have to see your stuff. But for social media, something that's really happened is that this quote, it said, social media is creating an epidemic of deferred loneliness. What does that mean? That basically with social media, you can get some instant gratification. You post that picture, you post that text, I'm feeling down, you put the tweet, I'm feeling lonely, you post a picture looking good, right? Man, you're looking great. And you get some of that immediate feedback, but that something happens, it leaves you leading more. It wants you, leaves you wanting more, that it's not just the same as having a face-to-face -face interaction and relationship with someone. It momentarily relieves us of that loneliness, but it doesn't give us the face-to-face -face relationship that we need. And we talked about this last week that maybe something is missing in our life. And then we said this, that maybe someone is missing. And this week, maybe we can find out that someone's is missing, that it's more than just one, that it really is a community. And so this week, the idea, the thought for the message is this, you might be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. You might be one community away. That's pretty dramatic, right? That's a kind of a big statement, Brian. 
one community away from changing the course of your destiny. See, as I have done this pastor thing, and I've been around a lot of people and been doing this for a while now, something that even early on I was really interested, it seemed like some people really were growing in their faith with God. They were really involved in the relationship with him. They were really achieving the things that they were setting out and wanting to do, not just in the relationship with God, but being a better spouse, being a better parent, right? Following after God, pursuing the things that they felt were important to them, that God had been calling them to do. And what was the secret to that? And I began to notice that there was a big difference and distinction between people who were able to do that and achieve and the ones who were kind of just falling to the wayside. You know what that was? It was community. And this is something I've experienced in my life over and over and over again is the importance of community, that we were never designed to do life alone, that we need people in our lives. We need to have people around us. This is something I've even experienced before we came here and started Treeline. You've probably heard me share some stories of leading a youth group and the adventures of leading teenagers for 15 years. It's like herding cats, someone, come on. And something that really amazing that the church we were at previously, the student ministry really grew, it really took off. And something that was amazing, it wasn't about an attendance number, how many kids were coming. It was this community that had been developed And it was amazing to see the relationships that came from that. And even as we discovered that as we grew and had more teenagers, we needed more adults to come help with that. Because I don't know about you, but I can't wrangle a bunch of teenagers by myself. I can do about one-on-one, and after that, it gets kind of crazy, right? And so we needed more people. And what we had found out is that people, adults, would jump in, and they would come and help. But then something amazing would happen as they became a part of that community. And there was a community with the students. There was community between the adults. And it was amazing to see what God had done there. And honestly, the community that was created there and what we saw take place there was the catalyst for us even wanting to take the step to plant a church. Because we believe that God had not only called us to start that, and honestly, it's still going there. They have leaders. I'm long gone. They don't need me. And that community is still there. It's continuing to grow, continuing to be healthy. There's amazing things happening. And we felt God that was calling us to plant a church that wouldn't just have that community just in a student ministry, but would have that, yes, in a student ministry, in a kid's ministry, in an entire church family. And so that's why I'm so excited to be able to share this message and this idea that we've got to have community because here's what I know to be true. Just because we start having a church, just because we roll up here at PTC every week and we set all this up and take it down and we meet here, community is not going to happen on its own. Every single time in my own life and in my own relationships, community takes work. It's got to be cultivated. It takes an investment. And sometimes on the front end, it takes a lot of investment. But here's the good news for us this morning as Treeline Church, that we have an opportunity as a young church, just getting started a year and a half now into this thing, we have an opportunity to set a precedent that we are going to invest in relationships and connections. And so I know sometimes when we talk about having friends, We talk about relationship and community, and I've said this the last couple of weeks, it can become overwhelming because it feels like, man, I would really like to have that in my life. I would like to have some people in my life that I'm doing community with, and sometimes we have to be the catalyst for that community. Sometimes we have to be the friend to someone else that we ourselves wish that we had, and we've got to start there. Matter of fact, this idea of community is something that's not unique and not new to us here at Treeline. It's something that in the New Testament, when the very first church got started in the book of Acts, that this is something that they had. Take a look at what it says in Acts 2, starting in verse 42. 
It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So the apostles were their leaders. And to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So let's just pause there. Right from the beginning, it's all about the food, right? I mean, it just kicks it off right there. They were, so, I mean, they could have wrote about anything. They got together and what did they do? They ate someone. Come on. They ate. That's what community is about. They broke the bread together. They just didn't like show up and like snap and bread in half. They ate it. They broke the bread. They ate it. They were there and they were praying together. And then it continues. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, their leaders. All the believers were together, and get this, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread, more food, in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Friends, this is the picture of what the church should be today. It's not just about these moments and coming together. Yes, we need these moments to come together and have church together and worship and hear a message and a teaching and have our kids learn at their level and doing their thing. We need those moments. But it's meant to be so much more than that. It's supposed to be a community relationship that we are doing life together, that we're supporting one another, that we're in this game together. So as we talk about this today, I want to break down three qualities of great communities. Are you guys ready for this? This is going to be good. We're going to talk about three qualities of what makes a great community. Because I don't know about you, I want a great community. We didn't start a church so we could just like fill a bunch of seats in here on Sunday morning. I want community. My family needs community. We want to do life together, right? And so how do we do this? What happens with great communities? Well, the first one is this. Are you ready? It's going to be super spiritual. We all have refrigerator rights. In a great community, we have refrigerator rights, right? Well, you're probably like, man, you just lost me. Where are we going with this? Well, come on. You know that you've got some people in your life. They've got refrigerator rights, right? Like your family, yeah, they, of course. Like your kid goes to the refrigerator, like, what are you doing, right? But you've got people in your life, they don't need to ask. They just come over and they help themselves. Matter of fact, it'd be weird if they asked you at this point if they could grab something out of the refrigerator. But what happens, most people in our lives, we invite them over, right? We don't go to the kitchen, we go to the living room after we've cleaned up 10 times and we try to clean up and the toys are back out anyways. So you've just given up and you throw them under the couch at this point. And you're just, you know, you put, put the best presentation forward. Got to have that certain appearance. But wouldn't it be really weird if I showed up at your house, didn't knock, walked in, went to the fridge, got some lunch meat and made a sandwich and sat down in your kitchen and started eating it. I mean, at that point, you'd probably maybe say something. Some of you would, you, some of you, come on, you know, you would be like, what are you, what are you doing? And if you wouldn't say anything to me there when I left, you'd probably be like, what's Pastor Brian? He was all up in my lunch meat. Like what, what is he doing? I didn't, I didn't even know he was hungry. I would tell you, I gave him something if he was hungry, right? I mean, it's weird, but you know, you've got those people in your life that have, when you have relationship with people, they have got refrigerator rights, right? They've got refrigerator rights. And some of you are like, I don't know if I'll ever get to the point where I can let someone go in my refrigerator. And it's not that I don't trust them, but have you seen the inside of my refrigerator, right? It's not just that we're letting people eat food out of our fridge. It's about having community that we're doing life with, that we have people that we can let our guard down and just be comfortable being around. And we have to ask ourselves that question, do we have people in our life outside of our families that have refrigerator rights? Are there people that we are doing that with or that we have refrigerator rights in their lives? 
And something that's even more interesting with having refrigerator rights is I've learned this over the years is that some people's house like has the guest entrance and then they have the entrance for the people who are family that have refrigerator rights, right? It's like, oh, no one ever comes to that door, right? If you're friends, if you're family, you, you go through the garage, you take this entrance, right? It's, this is just, it's a known, it's not, you don't even have to knock, you just, you just come in, right? Because you've got refrigerator rights. We need people in our community that we have refrigerator rights with. The second one is even more spiritual than the first, and it's this. We all have an ugly part. Yeah, someone was like, yes, he agrees. We all have an ugly part, right? All of us have some part of our body that we just don't like, right? Some of you are just like, if you could change, you know those quiz that come, if you could change one thing about yourself. Some of you are like, even right now, you're like, you know it, I know what it is, I shout it out. Please don't shout it out, right? And we all have an ugly part. And if you're married today, you can't say your spouse. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about yourself, not your boyfriend or girlfriend. You decide yourself what the ugly part is. But we all have one, right? We all have that thing that we don't like, that we wish we could change about ourselves. We all have an ugly part. In Romans 15, 7, it says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It's saying that we accept each other when we're in a community, even with our ugly parts. Now, I don't know about you and what your part that you feel ugly is, but I mean, can we just admit that feet are pretty nasty, right? They're pretty gross. And I never really thought about my feet being like attractive or unattractive or anything, but this is a true story. We were on our honeymoon. We were in Jamaica and we went on a glass bottom boat tour. I don't know if you've ever done this. It was amazing. The bottom of the boat was glass, right? Really, really great name. And so there was like a ledge around the little glass window and we get on the boat and we're sitting there and apparently we were with a group of people who I'm going to say they were British, which I'm not going to knock. I'm, I'm British, right? And so we're sitting there with this group of Brits and apparently... Their feet hadn't seen the sunlight in probably 30 years. I don't know what happened or a clipper or any soap. Um, and so we're sitting there and I'm thinking it. Apparently Christy's thinking it. Neither of us saying it. And they just got their feet bad boys just up on. You're supposed to be looking through the boat and I can't see any fish. I can't see past that fungus toenail, right? I mean, just the whole, whole lot of them all the way around. And at one point, I'm not saying anything. Christy leans over to me and whispers in my ear, I love your feet. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. This is, this is over. I, I'm just like, yeah, man, I didn't think they were attractive, but dang, look at those hooves over there, right? I mean, come on. We all have an ugly part. And what does that mean for me? Even something that I had to learn is that even in ministry as a pastor, I felt that there was this level that I had to keep like distance from people where I couldn't let people really in or they couldn't really know or experience because I would disappoint them or let them down. But what I've led over the years, and I hope you've experienced this at Treeline, is it's something that I'm not just Pastor Brian all the time. Sometimes I'm just Brian. And that we can be vulnerable with people and that we can let people see our ugly part and be like, you know what? We love you. We care for you. We accept you anyway, right? That we still want to be a part of your life, that we've got to be vulnerable. We've got to let people in. And that's not something that's unique to a pastor. Maybe you feel that. Maybe you always feel like you've got to hide behind that thin layer, that veil or that wall that you can only let people get so deep because of that thought of will they accept us. And we all have got that ugly part. And see, here's what happens. And matter of fact, what's amazing in the Old Testament that many times when someone had a crippled or deformed body part, they would just blame it on sin. They would just be like, well, that person made God angry and then he crippled them, which is ridiculous, right? That's not how God operates. 
traits. It's the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. And that's what they would say. Oh, God must not like them. And God's over and over and telling them, like, what are you talking about? That's not what I'm about at all. But here's what's really amazing, that in the Bible, there's a story of a guy named Mephibosheth. And we've talked about Mephibosheth before. And Mephibosheth, that actually says that he was born when he was lame in both feet. And so he was an outcast in his society. He was someone that wasn't accepted or, or loved. He was looked down upon because they didn't care about what was on the inside. They only judged him by his outward appearance. And so what happened is that everyone else didn't accept him, but the king at the time, come on, someone get this, this is so powerful, that the king at that time, he accepted Mephibosheth. And he didn't look, he looked past his inability and his disability. And it says this in 2 Samuel 9, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because what? He always ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. See, that the king didn't care, and the king said, and I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't care. You're going to sit at my table, right? And here's the beautiful thing about this, because when you're sitting at the table, no one can see what's going on down below there. No one could see what was wrong with Mephibosheth's feet. No one could take a look at it. All they know and saw is that he was sitting at the king's table, and that meant he was a somebody. And the same thing is true in our lives, that we come to God with our ugly part, whatever it is that we've got going on, our disconnect, the sin in our lives, the brokenness, the the hurt, the pain, and there's a space for us at the king's table. And it is covered by the table and no one knows because they just say, hey, God must really love them. They must really have something going on. And they don't see the brokenness. They don't see the pain. Why? Because God accepts us beyond the things that are going on, the ugliness in our lives. And this happens all the time in community. Because when you get in community with people, it's not just all about the good things that are going on. Sometimes it's about accepting some of the ugliness that sometimes our kids can be really challenging. Sometimes we feel neglected or we ourselves neglect our families and we need someone who, who's gonna remind us that we need to make our family a priority or maybe struggling with materialism or to be consistent in our spiritual life. I've been in groups and communities with guys who've been able to be honest and open and be like, I'm just struggling with pornography and watching things that I shouldn't. And it's just, this is my ugly part. And still being bold enough and brave enough and open enough to share that note and be in a community that's not going to judge them. That's not going to look down on them, but still going to provide a space for them to sit at the table. Why? Because that's what community does. It accepts that ugly part in our life. The last one is this, and since we've just been really on a great one here, this last one might as well be strange too, is three qualities of a great community. Number three, we fight lions. Come on, somebody. This is a good one right here. We fight lions. First Peter 5.8 says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like what? A roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what's the word of God telling us here? That basically Satan is a demonic cat. I mean, you could put the dots together. I'm just saying, feline family. I don't know if you're a cat person or dog person. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Don't judge me. Don't be mad. <laughs> don't be mad. Satan's a cat. Anyway, um, be alert, sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking as a roaring lion for someone to devour. So here we're given this warning that the enemy wants to take you out, that he wants to wipe you out, that he doesn't want you to live a life in relationship with God. He doesn't want you to be a good spouse, a husband or wife. He doesn't want you raising your children to know God and loving them and investing into their lives. He doesn't want them to be a priority. He doesn't want you to experience the fullness and richness that comes through a relationship with God. He wants to take you out. He wants to wipe you out. We've got to know that there is an enemy that wants to wipe you out. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this video before we're going to show here in just a moment to you, but it's called The Battle at Kruger. And this is just a condensed version of one you can go look up and watch at YouTube. And it's basically about a group of lions who are attacking an animal. And you can take a look at what happens here. So take a look at this video and I'll kind of narrate it for you what happens at the Battle of Kruger. So here we got uh, like water buffalo, right? Just kind of prancing. Along. Oh, look at there. We've got a crouching lion. Um, it's about to get some lunch. And it's watching. It's like, that is a big buffalo. Let's get it. Let's go. Go, boys. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get the big one. Get the big buffalo. Get the big buffalo. And they're like, ah, this one's too big. Hey, look, there's a tiny one. Let's get the tiny weak buffalo instead, right? Oh, and there he goes. He got him in the water. He's got tiny little Johnny buffalo. Things are not looking good for him. They're kind of biting his neck. Probably hurts. Hey, here's lunch. And so they're up there. And then you think things are kind of over. The little baby buffalo is kind of out of it, but this is not what's going to go on because here's what they said. Hey, you know what? You mess with one buffalo, you get all of the buffalo. And that little Johnny, he's not going to be your snack today because you better watch out, lion. Here we come. And so they come and he's like, he just takes them out. Starts, but look at this. Look, the buffalo just goes after him. He's like chasing the buffalo. He's chasing the lion away. This one gets the horns, dang, up to the air. That kind of had to hurt, right? And they literally free the baby buffalo. And now they're chasing all the lions away and the little buffalo gets away. Friends, this is a picture of what community is all about. See, in life, you're going to face the trial. You're going to face the storm. Sometimes you're going to be that little emaciated, sick little baby buffalo who is right for the picking. But when you've got community around you, we fight lions together. Whatever the storm of life that you're facing, the uncertainty that you feel, the sin pattern that you've not been able to get out of, the depression that you've been feeling, the loneliness, the ache of knowing that there's got to be something more, maybe some of the things that you even just don't like about yourself and that ugly part that you can't even get through on your own terms, let alone opening the door, letting other people experience it, that that is what relationship is all about. If you're facing the grief, if you're facing the pain, if you're facing the anxiety, whatever it is that is just ready to wipe you out, that the enemy is trying to use to just wreck your life. When we're together in community, we fight lions. When we show up and say, you know what? Not today, Satan. Don't you love the saying? Not today, Satan. You've got some people who are going to show up, who are going to fight together, who are going to take out that line and say, you know, not today. Not my friend, not in my community, not in my watch. Yeah, you might be a roaring lion. You could probably take us out, but together, forget it. You aren't any match for us in our herd. Friends, that's what tree line can be all about. That's what we can have in our lives, that we can fight lions together. See, on our own, when we're independent, when we're isolated, we're vulnerable. Can you imagine how the story would have ended if that little water buffalo would have just been out there by himself? Wouldn't have been so great, would it? because he was in that community, because he had someone to have his back. That is what relationship is all about. Matter of fact, this is exactly what Jesus said, that people will know that we are his followers by this. In John 13, 35, he says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you're my followers, if you love one another. Did you catch this? This flies so counterculture to everything we've understood to be about God, right? Because we think people will know that we're his followers by what? Like if you know enough scripture, if you know things, things about the Bible, you go to church enough, you know all the Christian songs, you got a Christian t-shirt. That's how people will know that I'm a Christian follower of God. No, it's simply by our love for one another. This is how people will know that you are truly my followers, that you love one another. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. 
God, I thank you for community. I thank you for relationships. God, and I just pray today Even as we're praying, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask you to do something. If you just feel a response to this message that you, you know that you need community in your life, would you just slip your hand up today and say, include me in that prayer today, Brian, as we're praying for community. If that's you, would you slip that hand up? Okay, all over the room. Anyone else? Slip that hand up. Awesome. All over the room. All over the room. Okay, you can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, you see these hands and you see these hearts, Lord, of those who need community in their life. Lord, I just pray that today that this message would just go far beyond the words, Lord, but God, that it would turn something in our hearts that would cause us to take action. God, to pursue relationships, whatever that looks like, that step. Maybe the step is getting involved and being brave and doing a small group and getting involved and being a part of that. Maybe it's just opening our home and asking some people to come over. Maybe it's just talking to some people and finding another couple and saying, let's just, let's just start doing life together. Let's just start hanging out. I don't know if I'm ready to give you refrigerator rights, but let's at least have a conversation. Let's at least begin to talk. God, I just pray that you would just do a work in us today, that we would pursue this, that knowing that we are just one community away from changing our destiny. Today, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask you that if you would like to say yes to a relationship with Jesus, maybe you have never asked him into your heart. Maybe you have never surrendered your life to him. See, the greatest relationship, the greatest friend that we can ever know is Jesus. That God sent his son to pay the price for our lives, to bear our sins, our mess ups, our mistakes, our failures. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. We don't deserve it. And that's the good news that he freely gives it as a gift because he loves you so much. So maybe you're here today and you just need to surrender that and say, you know what? I need God in my life. I can't do this in my own. I need a community. But even before that, I need that community. I need to have that relationship with him. And maybe you're here today and at some point you said that prayer. You asked Christ in your life. You were following after him. And maybe something just happened and I don't know what it was. Maybe you just began to fall away. Maybe you just got busy. Maybe it was the stuff. Maybe it was just life. Maybe a hardship. Maybe there's some pain. I don't know what it is, but here's what I know to be true. It doesn't matter what it was or what it is because there's always been a God with arms wide open, ready to accept you and love you right as you are, where you are, in the mess, with the ugly part, with whatever you've got going on in your life, that he loves you unconditionally and wants more than anything to have relationship with you. If that's you today in every, either one of those categories for the first time or you need to recommit your life to him while everyone's heads are bowed and no one's looking around, would you just slip your hand up and say, include me in that prayer today, Brian? Awesome. Awesome, see that hand. Put your hands down. Awesome, okay. I'm gonna ask everyone to repeat after me so that no one has to pray alone. Say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for giving your life for me come into my heart. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow after you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we cheer for those who made a decision today? Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. 
Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.